there hadn't been anything like that uh, in the in the North Country. And I remember that first concert, uh, sitting in the first rehearsal, and how special that felt, uh, knowing that that an ensemble of this caliber was now and hopefully you know through the future going to be available to the people of, of the North Country. And I, I enjoyed that so much. From NCPR, this is Northwards. People, stories, and ideas from northern New York, Vermont, and beyond. I'm Mitch Tyke. Support for the Northwards podcast comes from the J.C. Steiniger and M.E. McDonald Charitable Fund at Adirondack Foundation in support of the Adirondack Foundation Building Stronger Adirondack Communities. My days as a musician peaked my senior year of high school. I played alto saxophone, but two days before our jazz band left for a festival competition at Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia, our lead tenor sax player came down with chickenpox. I filled in on tenor, we won the competition, and, well, I never really played sax regularly again. Eh, kind of a bummer now that I think of it. But my days as a musician started with the first time I heard one particular saxophone-heavy pop song in the late 70s. This episode is not about my love for music. It is about the music Jim Medea has loved for decades. Medea is a trumpet player, a founding member of the Orchestra of Northern New York, a longtime member of the Potsdam Brass Quintet, and over the years, he taught scores of up-and-coming trumpet players and would-be band directors during his tenure on the faculty of the Crane School of Music. Today, he is retired from full-time teaching, but this weekend, he takes a turn as a conductor for the Orchestra of Northern New York as the group's brass and percussion ensemble presents its holiday concerts called Holiday in Brass. But before any of this, there was that moment that Jim Medea became a musician— Jim Medea, welcome to Northwards. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so I want to talk about this weekend's concerts, uh, but before we do that, I, I want to flash back because you are you are conducting the Orchestra of Northern New York, but you were also a charter member of the orchestra. When you think back to the early days of ONNY uh, and think about where it is now, what was it like? What was the orchestra like as it got started, and, and what do you think of this organization today? Well, I'll tell you, um, when I think back to that, that first year, and it was originally the Chamber Orchestra of Northern New York, there hadn't been anything like that uh, in, the, in the North Country. And I remember that first concert, uh, sitting in the first rehearsal, and how special that felt, uh, knowing that, that an ensemble of this caliber was now and hopefully, you know, through the future, going to be available to the people of, of the North Country. And I, I enjoy that so much. Uh, and uh, the credit all goes to uh, Ken Andrews, who was the, the founder and the first music director. Uh, and he was music director for 35 years and just uh, retired at the end of last year. Well, and, and it must have felt a little like uh, a calculated risk to try this in. I mean, this is, this is not a super populated area to have a, a professional orchestra. That's true. That's true. Um, and Ken had to make some decisions on what this orchestra was going to be like. You know, was it going to be a Potsdam-based orchestra? Uh, and he really wanted it to be a North Country-based orchestra. And so if you take a look at 
at the concerts that we performed, um, you know, we would play in Potsdam or in, in Lake Placid or Saranac Lake or we'd go out to Plattsburgh or, you know, we, we'd play so many different uh, places that we truly were the orchestra of the North Country. So, so talk about what brought you to music in the first place, having, having been on the faculty at Crane for as long as you were uh, and uh, being in music even before that. What was the, the spark that, that attracted you to, uh, to the brass world in the first place? <laughs> to the brass world. Well, uh, or maybe to music. No, no, <laughs> well, actually to the brass world. I know exactly what it was, and, and you're going to think this is odd. But uh, back in the 60s, there was a group, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I, <laughs> we, were, we were literally just talking about them in the station two days ago. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, Herb Alpert was a, a trumpeter. I enjoyed that group. And uh, when it came time to join the school band, I wanted to play trumpet because Herb Alpert played trumpet. <laughs> and it, incidentally, um, John Ellis, who um, for the, the, the past 36 years was the other trumpet instructor, Crane, played trumpet for the exact same reason, because of Herb Alpert. <laughs> uh, you never got to work with the, the people that did the cover art for uh, Whipped Cream and Other Delights, though. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's quite a famous album cover. It though. is a very famous <laughs> album cover. <laughs> uh, well, and it's interesting to, to think about that. I mean, I, I long ago gave up my saxophone playing, but the thing that got me into it was a, it was a pop song in the mid-'70s called Baker Street mm-hmm. uh, by Jerry Rafferty, and I remember hearing the saxophone riff, and I knew when band or orchestra in my elementary school was starting, that was the instrument I wanted to play. Yeah, yeah. that's true for so many people. There's that that one person that that makes the difference. So, so talk about just going from uh, really liking Herb Alpert to uh, to pursuing a career in this world. I I made my decision. Um, I should say I came from a, a, a very small community with a, a, a small high school. Um, the entire music program was a single band that was a concert band, marching band. And that was the entire music program. And this was where? Uh, this was in Lamont, Illinois. It was a suburb of Chicago. Um, and uh, it was about my sophomore, late sophomore, maybe early junior year that um, I talked to my band director and, and thought I might want to make music a career. And from that point on, he was constantly giving me recordings to listen to, books to read, and you know, he was amazing. He taught me how to um, uh, do show designs for the marching band, and you know, even let me write shows, you know, for them. Um, and so I ended up having lots of experiences that other people, you know, didn't uh, didn't have. Um, and I went to school at the University of Illinois. Um, had, Tremendous uh, music education uh, degree program there, and uh, and then I taught in the uh, in school system in the Chicago area. Um, did my doctoral work and then uh, came to uh, Crane. Wow. Do do you think that experience with that high school band uh, director sort of shaped or informed the kind of teacher and then professor that you became? It it did, uh, particularly because a big part of my uh, responsibilities at Crane uh, was uh, teaching instrumental music education courses. And so I'm essentially helping to prepare students to be future school band directors. 
Well, and, and it seems like one of the lessons in that is if you find someone who's really interested in this, do what you can to, to kind of further their interests. I mean, just the idea that, you know, this, this director gave you recordings to listen to. I mean, it, right. it really makes all the difference, right? It, it, it really does. Yeah, yeah. At, at the same time, um, and, 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 and he was so good about this, um, you know, it, it wasn't a vocational ed you know, type of program. Right. So students who chose not to go into music, you know, he didn't treat them any differently. Well, and now interesting to think of over the, the 30 plus years that you did this at Crane, uh, there are generations of, of high school band directors out there or, or you know, middle school band directors uh, that that, you know, sort of wear their mark of working with Jim Medea. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I just feel old. <laughs> As if the Herb Alpert thing didn't say. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, well, so let's talk about the, the concerts mm-hmm. uh, that are coming up. Sure. Um, and and it must have been, uh, I don't know, was it an honor to have uh, the Orchestra of Northern New York call you and say, we, we need you for this concert? Oh, it, it certainly was. I mean, for 35 years, uh, Ken Andrews conducted all the concerts, um, and so um, this year, uh, with the national search going on for the next music director, the October and April concerts um, are going to feature the two finalists, and the other concerts, they're bringing in guest conductors, and so they invited me uh, to conduct the the, um, the December concert, um, and the, uh, the orchestra board decided to... Uh, Experiment with different formats, and so uh, so they thought, well, let, let's try a brass and percussion ensemble for this, and you know that's a perfect concert for it because um, there's so much great holiday music written for brass and percussion, um, and so they invited me to conduct, uh, put together the program, and uh, and we're looking forward to it. Well, and and so what was your approach? What what kinds of uh, what? How do you? Um, walk us through uh, when you're given the assignment to uh, to conduct uh, a concert. Uh, what's the process of deciding what you're going to feature and uh, what it takes advantage of? Well, when when it comes to programming, uh, sometimes you'll start with a theme. And of course, with this being a holiday concert, you know the theme is already built in, <laughs> um, and so it, it comes down to breaking that down to, you know, so, you know, what is this going to look like? And I, I sort of wanted to honor four celebrations. I mean, one was, is the the spiritual side of Christmas, one is the secular side of Christmas, and then Hanukkah and Kwanzaa uh, as well. And so there's literature um, that, that honors those four celebrations. Uh, I should say there's also one piece on the program that's not a holiday piece. I included a, um, a Gabrielli Canzona. Um, having that fantastic uh, group of brass players, I just couldn't not <laughs> program some, uh, some Gabrielli. Gabrielli is real important uh, in the brass world. Um, he was the music director. Um, at the uh, Basilica of uh, San Marcos in Venice uh, in the late 1500s uh, uh, and early 1600s. And one of the architectural features of that basilica were multiple balconies. And so Gabrielli used that as an opportunity to take choirs, whether they be uh, 
vocal choirs or instrumental choirs and place them in the different balconies. They would play across from each other. They would play what today we call antiphonal music or sound against sound. Um, and antiphonal music had been around for maybe 40 years you know, before that, um, but not to the extent of what Gabrielli did. I mean, he... He could not just have two choirs. He could have three or four different choirs because of all these uh, balconies. And so we're actually going to feature a, um, a, a Gabriele Canzona uh, that will have one of the choirs in the front of the hall and the other in the back of the hall. So the audience will be sitting between the two choirs and sort of experiencing this stereophonic sound uh, like the, the people in the congregation at uh, the Basilica of San Marcos. 700 years ago or, or 600 years ago. Um, my math is bad. 500 years ago. <laughs> um, well, and and it's interesting to think about because we think of, of the science of acoustics as being a relatively modern phenomenon, but here was somebody who was really practicing it centuries ago. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And, and, and a big part of that is, is he was relating – to the architecture or, t- or taking advantage of, you know, the architecture that was there. Is it, you know, I, 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 maybe this is a strange question, but um, as the person who is both selecting the program and trying to get the most out of the musicians who are playing the program, it feels a little, uh, in my mind, as someone who's never had the experience of doing this, as almost unwrapping a new toy. Um, the idea that uh, you really can, you know, try to try to shape this uh, this orchestra to do what you want it to do. You know, with with your artistic vision in mind. Well, the, the brass ensemble is is a real special kind of toy. Um, when word got out that uh, Orchestra of Northern New York was going to be performing a, a brass ensemble concert for December 2023, I started getting calls from people asking, do you need another trumpet? Do you need <laughs> another horn? Uh, you know, and, and the numbers that we use exceed the number of players who are regular members of the orchestra. I mean, we'll, we'll, we're going to have six trumpets, four horns, four trombones, two euphoniums, two tubas, and, and a percussion section. Um, and uh, so in addition to the regular members of the orchestra and players who are on the faculty at the Crane School of Music who are not members of the orchestra. Um, there are also players who are coming from pretty long distances just to play with the orchestra. But there's just something about brass ensemble that two brass players uh, is really special and, and players you know want to come and play that. From a, a logistical standpoint, when you have players coming from so far away, how do you ensure that you have enough time to work with them that uh, that that this performance or these performances sound as good as they should? Well, um, when um, when I was contracted to to conduct this, uh, one of the first things is working out the schedule. Uh, so, you know, how many hours of rehearsal time you know will we have? Um, and then uh, uh, the orchestra librarian then sends music out to everyone. So when they come to that first rehearsal, they're they're you know prepared. Um, and then a big part of it is is up to me to stay on the rehearsal schedule to be sure that that happens. How, how much rehearsal time does with the the full ensemble does go into uh, do a concert like this? Well, the Orchestra of Northern New York typically has three three hour rehearsals for a concert. This concert, we have two three-hour rehearsals. It's, and it's not quite as simple as that because the second rehearsal is the morning of the first concert. And this is a 
pretty taxing concert for brass players, so I've got to be careful. Uh, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of rehearsing going on the day before, but the day of, I've got to be careful how far I can push them because they need to be on their A game for the evening concert. Right. This is a lot of, I mean, it takes clearly a lot of uh, a lot of work with your arbiter and right. and uh not having been a brass player i imagine at the end of the two concerts plus these rehearsals your lips have to be really tired that yeah that's true on the other hand um these are professional players that are accustomed to playing you know 6 7 hours a day um so but as you say, still you want to make sure that, they, uh, that, that they're not over-rehearsed so that they, they're able right. to bring their A game to it. Yep. What has kept you excited about – I mean, I know you're retired now, uh, but you're obviously still around the profession and still around music. What, mm-hmm. what has kept you so connected to it over the years? I can't imagine having done anything other than having been a music teacher and a performing musician. Um, so when I retired, that part of it really – didn't change for me. You know, I still do a lot of playing. Um, I no long. I played, you know, for 36 years with the uh, uh, and Brass Quintet, uh, and I no longer you know play regularly with that group. But I now have a, a brass quartet. You know that I, I play in in the area when people need trumpeters. You know, I'll, I'll play. Um, uh, a lot of the schools hire players for their, their musicals, you know, play in the pit. I think last year I, I played six musicals um, in, in the North Country. In fact, last weekend I just, just played one here in Potsdam. Legally Blind, I believe that's, that that's was, right. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have a son at uh, Potsdam High School. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, Jim Medea, I, I, it's been really a delight to talk with you. Um, congratulations on these uh, concerts, uh, Break a Leg, and uh, I hope we'll talk again. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for – uh, NCPR support of the Orchestra of Northern New York. Jim Medea taught trumpet and instrumental music education at the Crane School of Music for more than three decades. This weekend, he conducts the Orchestra of Northern New York's brass and percussion ensemble concerts in Potsdam on Saturday and Watertown on Sunday. You can find a link to more about the concerts at ncpr.org northwards. That is also where you can listen back to previous episodes of this podcast and find other links, including one to that late 70s song that made me pick up the saxophone and make it sound nothing like the song I was listening to. Ethan Shanty, tell us who puts this show together and what song made you a musician. Thanks, Mitch. Alto sax was my first instrument, and the song that made me want to pick it up? Yakety Yak by the Coasters. Take out the papers and the trash! You can let us know the song that inspired you to pick up the sax or the drums or the guitar by sending Mitch an email, mitch at ncpr.org. Northwords is an NCPR podcast production. The show is written, edited, and produced by Mitch Tyke with digital production supervision by me, Ethan Shanty. Doyle Dean is our production manager, Bill Hanel is our digital guy, and Caitlin Kelly handles our social media. To find more great shows and to support the station, head to ncpr.org. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio. 